Welcome to the TappingSolution.com's Bits and Pieces podcast, where we share information designed to change your life. Whether you're new to EFT tapping or an old hand, you'll find simple, inspiring information to brighten your day, motivate you, and help you live your best life. To learn more about tapping, visit thetappingsolution.com. Now, here's today's clip. Hi everyone, Nick Ortner from thetappingsolution.com. We're sitting down here in Pasadena, California with my dear friend, Dr. Lisa Rankin. Lisa, welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. As soon as we met and I read your book, it was like, oh my gosh, all the things that I have been talking about that I know at some level is an underlying mechanism to, behind this tapping thing that we're doing, you were discussing in your book. And Well, and when I read your book, I was like, <laughs> okay, had we not been writing them at the same yeah. time and publishing them, somebody would have been like, okay, they're, yeah, they're stealing, they're yeah, they're stealing, stealing from each other. Yeah, who stole There's from who? a lot of overlap, yeah. especially when we were talking about things like the stress response yeah. and the amygdala and sort of the neuro neuroimmunology and neurobiology behind stress and how it affects the body. So Absolutely. Well, what, I was, what I was really excited about is I'm a lay person. You know, I, I've approached tapping from my personal experience. I've approached it as a coach and just really just sharing it with others with, from a passion. And you're not a lay person, right? You're, yes, I am. You're the other echelon <laughs> called a doctor, right? I'm both. Yeah, right? I know I'm you a are. doctor I and know. I'm a patient. Yeah. And so I always, I, you know, when I'm approaching these things, I'm looking at them from both perspectives because I was taking seven medications by the time I was 33 mm. because of the life that I was living. So, you know, it's, it's both perspectives. Uh, but. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that's where the real clear perspective comes in when you can don't have both of those perspectives. But tell me about... So give me some of your background in medicine and just what it was like before. You spent how long in medical school? I mean, I know it's... Well, a... it's, it's 12 years of education. Okay. And then I was in a conven very conventional practice mm -hmm. for eight years practicing as an OBGYN. And I was not... Like, if you had ever told me that I'd end up doing what I'm doing now, yeah. I would. You, there's no way I would have yeah. believed you. I was raised by a physician. I mm -hmm. trained at sort of the ivory towers of medicine. Very just conventional skeptical perspective yeah. of anything that, I mean, certainly anything that you'd be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that we, we think we've really lost it. We're <laughs> right. what? We're yeah, tapping Yeah, she's doing what? Right. You know? Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, I wasn't raised in that kind yeah. of alternative way. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't until I, I got to a point in my own medical practice where I was really feeling out of integrity with mm. myself. You know, and I've, I now realize, I didn't realize at the time, but I now realize that, you know, those of us who are called to medicine are, are called sort of the way priests are called to yeah. the priesthood. It's like yeah. a spiritual practice. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's a lineage of medicine that predates antibiotics and sterile surgical techniques and all of the amazing technology that we've developed oh. in the 19th and 20th, 21st century. Um, that lineage was what called me, oh. but I was out of integrity with that lineage when I was expected to see 40 patients a day. Wow. You know, I just couldn't practice as a true healer. Yeah within the confines of the modern medical system. Yeah. And so every day I was coming home feeling less and less like myself, and I was getting sicker and sicker. Uh -huh. So I wound up leaving my conventional medical practice in 2007, and then I realized that you can quit your job, but you can't quit your calling. Yeah. So I had that tension of like, wait a minute, that lineage is still part of my history, part of my soul, and yet I'm not willing to go back to doing what I was doing. My health was starting to improve. Uh -huh. And so it was quite a long and arduous 
you know, a circuitous journey yeah. to get me from where I was having left medicine, thinking I was going to be a full-time artist and writer, to sort of finding my way back into medicine via a mind-body medicine practice oh. that really was kind of the education that led me to write Mind Over Medicine. So that term mind-body, right? We, we hear it so much. What's your understanding of it? And what were the times when you started to open up to that kind of thinking? You know, so you're in your practice, it's not working, you say, I can't do this, I'm going to kill myself doing it, right, 40 patients. You walk away, what, what started happening to open up the, your mind? Because there was no training, I imagine. No. Was there mind-body medicine discussed in, uh, in <laughs> no. 12 years of medical school? Uh, Never, no. no. In fact, uh, you know, it really started because I, I wound up, I thought that all I needed was time with yeah. patients. Yeah. So I wound up taking a job in a cash-based integrative medicine practice. Okay. So because it was cash-based, I got an hour with my patients. Yeah. And so, you know, it was amazing. And these patients were in Mill Valley in, in West, in Marin County oh. in the Bay Area. And, you know, I've worked with lots of patients before, but these were unlike any patients I've ever worked with before. I mean, these people were full on health nuts. Yes. They knew everything. They knew uh, everything. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're eating their vegan diet. They're drinking their green juice. They're working out with their personal trainers. You know, they're, they're doing everything yeah, right. Yeah. And they were some of the sickest people that I'd ever met. Oh. So that didn't make any sense to me. Like, why were these people sick? Yeah when they were doing everything that we were teaching them to do yeah. as far as, you know, avoiding bad habits and eating well and, you know, good exercise, getting enough sleep and all of that. So it led me down this path of like, wait, there must be some missing piece. Yeah. Because if these people are sick, then how can any of us ever be well? Yeah. And what I wound up doing, I started asking my patients some interesting questions. And I started asking them things like, you know, what does your body need in order to heal? Mm. Or what is your body saying no to? And the stuff they started answering, like I'd ask them, what does your body need in order to heal? And they'd say things like, I need to quit my job. Or I need to leave my toxic marriage. Or I need to finally go to art school. And so I started saying, well, why not? Like, why not do it? And then they'd say, well, I can't do that. But some of my patients got really brave. And they started actually doing what they had prescribed for themselves. And they started experiencing spontaneous remissions. And I, my, my skeptical doctor brain had no idea what to make of that. Yeah. Like, does not compute. Well, that's it. Where does that fit into that, the library of what you know about, to be true about the world, right? 12 years of schooling that teaches you there's this disease, you take this pill, you do this, you do that. Very mechanical. Right. right. And, and now, these people, I wasn't doing anything mm. for them. They had already gotten the best of Western medicine at Stanford. They'd already seen, uh, you know, integrative medicine doctors and their naturopath and their acupuncturist. Yeah. And, like they literally had had the best care out there. Yeah. And all I was doing was asking them questions that were getting them touch in touch with a part of themselves that knew what their body needed in mm. order to heal. And why do you think that is? How, what's the mechanism of someone quitting their job, someone following their calling, someone following their passion, whatever it is, and the body healing. What's your understanding of what's well, really going I, on? I, didn't, I wasn't even close to being able to understand the answer to that question when I was witnessing these spontaneous remissions, so I started researching it. Like, I looked up spontaneous remission. Yeah. I came across the Institute of Noetic Sciences mm -hmm. put together the Spontaneous Remission Project, which is over 3,500 case studies in the medical literature of people that had spontaneous remissions from almost any disease you can imagine, oh. like stage four cancers were cured, HIV positive people became HIV negative, like heart failure, kidney failure, diabetes, high blood pressure, autoimmune disorders, skin disorders, you know, common things as well. So, but why? My, my big question yeah. was, did they do something particular yeah. 
to bring about that spontaneous remission? Or was it just, you know, good luck? Yeah. So that's when I started just investigating chance, right? further, right? What, the answer is often, oh, remission, spontaneous. Luck of the draw, chance, right? That's what usually we hear about it. We don't know how it happened. It did. We can't explain it, so we're just going to put it over there. Well, and it's so interesting because those case studies are all written up by doctors yeah. as kind of medical mysteries. Yeah, yeah. But they never tell what the patient did. Mm. They just tell the story of, like, here's this fatal illness. Yeah. And, wow, the illness went away. Yeah. But I was really curious, hang on a minute, you gave me A and Z, yeah. I want to know what happened in between. Yeah. So then I came across Dr. Kelly Turner's research. Yeah. She's writing a book called Radical Remissions. Mm. And she had done her PhD thesis on stage 4 cancer survivors okay. who had spontaneous remissions from their stage 4 cancers. Most of them had chosen to you know, withhold Western medical treatment, yeah. which is not what I recommend. Mm -hmm. But she was curious, what did they do? Yeah, yeah. And so she researched them, and she also researched the often alternative healthcare practitioners that interviewed them. Yeah. And she found that they had common characteristics. Mm -hmm. And only two of them were the sort of thing that you might hear from a, a kind of a progressive medical doctor. Okay. Like one of them was they all took some sort of herb or supplement that they really believed was yeah. going to cure yeah. them. Yeah. And one was that they changed their diet to a mostly vegetable-based diet. Yeah. But the other things, there were nine common characteristics. And the other seven were things that were more in the way of emotional, mental, spiritual practices. So that, again, sort of something was going on here yeah. that did not make sense to my medical brain, but it made sense to my soul. Uh. So you asked me, you know, how does quitting your job affect the, the health of yeah. your body? This is where, this is where I, I, my, my research led me to start looking into the placebo effect. Because yeah. my question was, can the mind really heal the body? Mm. If, if work is stressing you out, mm. can reducing work stress actually affect yeah. the health of your body? And if so, how? Yeah. So I was really curious, is there any evidence yeah. that the mind really can heal the body? And of course, we all know about the placebo effect. Yeah. This has been well studied since the 1950s. So we know that some combination of positive belief yeah. and thinking that the sugar pill is going to make you well yeah. and the nurturing care of the person in the white coat who uh -huh. delivers the sugar pill to you and says this is going to help you, yeah. that some combination of that results in actual physiologic change. It's yeah. not just in your mind. Yeah. It's, you know, the colon becomes less inflamed. Mm. The ulcer disappears. The warts go away. Mm. The, my favorite is the Rogaine trial. Oh, really? The, the men <laughs> who were in the Rogaine trial yeah. for baldness took sugar pills and grew hair. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. so it's physiologic, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's something happening mm. in the body when this happens. But my question was, well, most of us are not in clinical trials getting saline injections or sure. fake surgeries or sugar pills. Can whatever that thing that's yeah. happening when yeah. someone takes a placebo, can we harness that? Oh. And if so, how? And that's how it ties into the effects of stress. Yeah. So what I came to realize, because of course, as a doctor and the way my brain works, I need to understand mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to I had to do a lot of research to try to get to the bottom of what's the mechanism oh. of how stress in the mind affects the cells of yeah. the body. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I have to define stress before I explain yeah. that further, because I think in our culture we have a very poor understanding mm -hmm. of stress. I, I think we kind of wear stress like a badge of we honor. Do. 
I mean, oh, like, it's just, it's all around, it's what it is. It's yeah. the culture, you yeah. can't get away from yeah. it. I'm stressed, therefore I'm busy, therefore yeah. I'm valuable. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so how many times have you heard people get together, like, how are you doing? Oh my God, I'm totally stressed, but yeah. like, you know how it is, that's like... Well, I always joke that try, you know, when you're focused on stress, try to go to your friend and go, oh no, I had a great day, I'm relaxed, I've been doing yeah. nothing, went to the Chilling beach, out. blah, blah, blah. We can't, even, we can't even say it, you know? Because yeah. the, the second we say it, it feels like we're less than, it feels like... We're not doing enough. We feel like we're not connecting with the other people around us who are so stressed. Yeah. Right. So I, I think part of it is understanding that stress in our, you know, I think a lot of us think of stress as being overworked or overwhelmed. Mm. But to the body, stress is anything that triggers the amygdala. Yeah. Right, so yeah. the, the amygdala, our we friend. Love amygdala, we love the amygdala. amygdala. We not only in our books, but we've been sharing the stage at Hay House all year. <laughs> and there was one, you know, it was one afternoon where I spoke first, and then you spoke an hour later, and then someone else spoke, and then a fourth, all four of us mentioned the amygdala. And I was like, "This is the amygdala conference," and we hadn't even checked in with each other. But I think there's an under, a deep understanding now of how important this is. So, sorry, go on. No, 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 it's great. So, you know, I think of the amygdala as the those little meerkats. Yeah. You know, they're at like the zoo, they like, yeah, yeah. They, they, there's always the sentry meerkat mm -hmm. who's like on top of the mound, like checking to make sure that he, that he can keep the rest of the meerkats safe, yeah. right? So they're always on the lookout for danger. And the amygdala is part of the limbic brain, so it's part of the very primordial part of the brain. It's not the thinking, rational yeah. forebrain. Yeah. It's the, it's the little meerkat that's always looking out for danger. Mm -hmm. So the amygdala is there to protect us from genuine yeah. danger. It's there to protect us from anything that's going to threaten life or limb. So, you know, the, the ubiquitous tiger on the loose yes. is yeah. sort of what people talk about when they talk about the amygdala. And that's, that's healthy, right? Yeah. The amygdala gets triggered. It triggers what Walter Cannon at Harvard called the stress response yeah. or the fight or flight response. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, hypothalamus communicates with the pituitary gland, turns on the adrenal gland, yeah. the body is filled with cortisol and epinephrine, and then you're in fight or flight. And we can run or fight, flee, do what we need to do. Exactly. To mobilize the energy of the body. To get away from the tiger, yeah. Yeah. right? But here's the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, is that every thought that you have that is threatening mm. triggers that same fight or flight. So every fearful thought, every anxious thought, mm. every worried thought, mm. Every thought that feels like you're being attacked by other people, yeah. angry thoughts, yeah. all of these kinds of thoughts are stress yeah. to the body, yeah. even though we may not necessarily perceive it as the kind of stress that's like the to-do list yeah. stress. Yeah. So, you know, stress is toxic relationships. Mm. It's selling your soul for a paycheck. Mm. You know, it's um, not being able to communicate properly with your family members. These things are incredibly stressful yeah. to the amygdala. Yeah. And the, the amygdala can't tell the difference between that and running away from the tiger. So what happens is that, you know, when I'm asking people, what does your body need in order to heal? And they're saying, I need to quit my job. Yeah. What they're really saying is my job is triggering my amygdala yeah. all day long. Yeah. And for me, when I was in my conventional medical practice, that was the case. Mm. I was, my amygdala was triggered all day long because I never felt safe. Yeah. I felt like I was constantly at risk of making a mistake, that somebody was going to die on my watch, mm. that I was going to get sued, that, you know, I was completely exhausted. I was working 72-hour shifts. So literally my body wasn't um, 
you know, wasn't able to function normally. It was all of those things. So I was living in this perpetual wow. fight or flight mode. Yeah. Plus I was twice divorced by this point. I was, my relationships were a wreck. I had lost four members of my family. Wow. So all those fearful, anxious, worried thoughts were triggering my fight or flight. And I was taking seven medications that my doctors said that I would be on for the rest of my life. Wow. So when my patients started experiencing these spontaneous remissions, I realized, wait, maybe I could have that. <laughs> yeah. Right? Maybe yeah. I don't have to take these drugs for the rest of my life. And I'm now down to half the dose of one of them wow. from doing the deep work yeah. of trying to figure out what are the stressors that are triggering my amygdala and what is the soul medicine yeah. that I really need, yeah. you know? Absolutely. And this is essential because what, what I, I mean, if you get, if your listeners get one thing away from this yeah. talk today, the most important thing for people to realize is that our bodies have these natural self-repair mechanisms, uh, right? Every day our bodies make cancer cells, we're exposed to pathogens, yeah. you know, bacteria and fungi and viruses and such. Our bodies know how to fight this. They know how to fix broken proteins. They know how to do their own anti-aging things. But this was the, the kicker for me. Those natural self-repair mechanisms only function when the body is in what Herbert Benson at Harvard called the relaxation response. So this is the opposite of the stress response. The stress response is the sympathetic nervous system. The relaxation response is the parasympathetic nervous system. So it makes sense. Can we hit pause on that because it's such a big thing? Yeah. Right? What you just said, they only... It's either one or the other. It, they do not right? work. Deactivated. <laughs> Deactivated. Yes. So the body is not doing the healing if you're in the stress response. just not happening. That's right. And, and the it, only way for it to happen is to relax, in a, in a word. Right. Yeah. So it makes sense because when if you're running away from a tiger, yeah. there's no reason to do preventive maintenance. Sure. It just says right? forget about it. <laughs> you forget about it. Make it. They're so. not worried about the two cancer cells yeah. that you made yeah. today. They're worried about the tiger. Yeah. So the body, when you're in sympathetic nervous system, it turns down all the kind of homeostatic mm. mechanisms of the body. So yeah. the digestion is shut down, reproduction is shut down. Mm. You know, these things that are non-essential. And so the self-repair mechanisms are considered non-essential. Yeah. And it's actually, it's actually intentional because you want to reduce, in case the tiger bites you, sure. you want to actually be in a sort of anti-inflammatory state. Oh, so yeah. the immune system actually gets shut off. Mm. So there's physiology behind that, which means that in order to optimally be healthy, we want to not only optimize whatever Western medicine has to offer, but we want to make sure that the body is in relaxation response as much as possible. Yeah. And we can do this in one of two ways. So, you know, we can actively put the body in relaxation response with practices like meditation, yeah. with practices like EFT, yeah. right? So we can, there are, there are lots of things that we know Laughter sure. is one of them. Um, orgasm is one of them. So there are these things that we can do that will sort of um, take the body out of sympathetic nervous system, being overridden with the relaxation that comes with those sorts of practices. Yeah. But what I think, you know, and that's what a lot of people teach, yeah. but it's not enough. Yeah. It's not enough to just say, I do my 20-minute meditation Absolutely. every day or I have sex twice a week yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. It's the body actually... Because those, if you're in the perpetual fight or flight, yeah, you can get out of it for 20 minutes with your meditation practice. Hour, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? So you have to address the things in your life that are triggering the stress responses mm. to begin with. Yeah. And that's where it comes to the difficult part of actually looking at what is triggering those stress responses. And that was the big aha moment for me when I was thinking about my patients in Marin. Mm. 
was here's these health They were nuts. doing it. They were doing the 20 minutes. They were doing the meditation. Totally. They were doing their affirmations. They were in it. They yeah. were in yeah. it. They're yeah. drinking their green juice. Yeah. They're working yeah. out every day. But they were the most stressed out people yeah. I'd ever met. Yeah. Right, and so the, when it comes right down to it, you know, I t in Mind Over Medicine, I teach about the six steps to healing yourself. But it's all about really writing the prescription for yeah. yourself, creating an action plan that's really about getting the nervous system out of stress response oh. and into relaxation response, so that the body's natural self repair mechanisms can be optimized. I mean, this is how we live to be happy and healthy until we're a hundred. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, there's so much that I want to comment on. That. <laughs> there's so much there. Uh, you know, one of the things that I find really interesting about tapping is that, you know, you can do it for that 20-minute period, right, as that practice. But really, the deep stuff that happens is when you make those quantum shifts, right, when you tap to overcome not just the stress in the moment, but when you go deeper, when you go to the childhood trauma, when you go to the things in your life that are stressing you out and you recognize, I clear them, and now I'm making a life change. Now I'm making that decision. Because I agree completely. It's like people say, well, you know, will this tapping last forever? If I tap on my back and it hurts and it goes away, will it come back in three days? And what I say is, well, if the reason your back is hurting is because you hate your job and you're miserable all week and you go back to work on Monday, it's likely to activate it again. Mm -hmm. right? So this is a sign. And we start making these connections. You know, one of the things we see... And the tapping process is how we make these connections between the physical symptoms. And I've seen it a lot with pain, you know, especially right. pain because it's such a direct measure. You know, I'm sure it plays a role in all sorts of other diseases, but it's hard for cancer and diabetes and, and all those things to go, okay, what happened right, right. now? Right. right, exactly. That's a longer term thing to deal with. But pain, I know that someone has back pain and we sit down and we start tapping on it. And, you know, you do a little tapping on the back pain, it clears a little bit, and then we go deeper and deeper and deeper mm -hmm. and we find out. You know, I remember working with a client who I actually wasn't making progress for about 40 minutes, tapping on the back pain and emotions and all these things. And I'm getting frustrated. And I'm like, usually there's a shift. So what's going on? And I said, you know what? Let's ignore the back right now. It was actually sciatica pain. So let's ignore it and, let, and just ans answer this question. What is stressing you out most in your life right now? And she said, work. I hate it. She was a lawyer. She was miserable. She's like, I hate every aspect of it. I hate what I do. The clients I represent, you could just see this was a big deal for her. So we went and tapped on that issue. We focused on, even though I have all this stress and I can't deal with it, we go back to the sciatica pain 10 minutes later, it's gone, hmm. right? And she's going, oh my, oh my gosh, she's stretching. She was a runner. She's like, this is unbelievable. And we weren't focusing on the pain itself. We were focusing on this other part of her life. Now, the big thing was two weeks later, she quit her job. Right. right, and that's I was, was going to tell you what um, my friend Sark makes these posters. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I like how to, how to be a how to be a happy artist or how to be. Yeah. A, so one of her friends came to her and said, "Will you make me a poster that says how to be a happy lawyer?" Yeah. So she writes how to be a happy lawyer, and then she draws a little door, and you open the door, and it says, "Quit." Oh, jeez. <laughs> All your lawyers out there, I'm sure you can do plenty of great work in the world. But you've got to be congruent with the work you're doing. Right. You've got to minimize the stress. I mean, you know, obviously, it's, tough. That it's, it's one tough. of those professions that comes with a significant amount yeah. of stress. Yeah. You know? um, I want to jump back a bit to what we talked about earlier in the placebo effect, right? Because I think the, I think the placebo effect actually gets a bad rap because people generally go, oh, it's, it's only effect. the placebo it's effect. It's only the placebo effect. Or they lop the placebo effect on top of things like tapping and yoga and meditation and herbs. They go, well, it's just a placebo effect. Right? And people ask me all the time, well, is the tapping the placebo effect? You know, and again, with the idea that placebo means fake or placebo means, oh, it's all in your mind. And what I say is, well, look, A, I've dealt with a lot of people who thought I was crazy with the tapping, so it wasn't even coming in with that direction. So it wasn't, oh, I believe the tapping is going to work, so it works. 
but it does have a correlate with the placebo effect in that we are using the mind to affect the body. All right? We're doing the tapping while, while focusing on the stress, the anxiety, whatever's going on, and that is helping the body release. So tell me, talk to me a little bit about that. So the placebo effect, basically if you look at the data, it, the placebo effect boils down to two things. Yeah. It's the positive belief, because yeah. usually patients in these clinical trials, they don't know whether they're getting the real yeah. treatment or the fake treatment, and neither does the doctor because it's usually double-blinded, yeah. because if the doctor knows they're getting the placebo, it actually affects the outcome. Oh, well, that's, So yeah, everybody that's has a, to yeah. be blinded. Yeah. But because they don't know, they have a hope, maybe I'm getting the new wonder yeah. drug. Yeah. So that, that positive belief that they're getting the new wonder drug yeah. combines with the conditioning that we have yeah. of somebody in a white coat yeah. giving us something that we believe is going to make us better. Yeah. So it's the combination. It's like it's the it's the the, the sugar pill and yeah. the love, yeah. right? So what it's really doing though is pa patients come into a clinical trial and they're afraid. Yeah. They're hurting, they're in pain, they're having symptoms of an illness. Yeah. There's something that's brought them into the clinical trial to begin with yeah. because they're suffering. And so the you know what starts to happen is that as they enter the trial and they have positive belief and nurturing care, the amygdala calms down. Yeah. The relaxation response kicks the in. The relaxation go, response oh, kicks in because yeah. they say, oh, I'm finally doing something. I wasn't better before, but this might be the thing. Yeah, yeah. This this might be the treatment that's yeah. going to solve everything for me. So their whole nervous system starts to calm down. Mm. Body goes into relaxation response. Those natural self-repair mechanisms kick in. Yeah. So the placebo response is an awesome thing, yeah, right? It's yeah. basically just, it's the, the term that clinical medicine has used, and, and the reason it's gotten sort of a bad rap is because it gets in the way of bringing yeah, new treatments absolutely. to trial. Yeah. Because some, tr some drugs, you study them, and they have a 70% placebo effect. So the antidepressants is bad. That's, a, that's a great example, 70 to 80%. Um, so it's very hard to prove efficacy of something yeah, yeah. if the placebo effect is that high for the condition that you're treating. So something like depression is incredibly, you know, incredibly related mm. to that combination of positive belief and yeah. nurturing care. It responds really well. Whereas there are some things that don't respond. Pain responds very well mm. to placebo. Yeah. So, you know, the medical community gets frustrated because they want to bring these new treatments to, to the market. Yeah. And if it's not any better than placebo, then evidence-based medicine deems that it's ineffective. Yeah. And I say, what do you mean it's ineffective? Yeah. It's working 70% <laughs> yeah, yeah. of the time. Yeah. But the drug itself is Isn't no better. It. It's, it's not the drug that's doing it. Yeah. So I think when we think about the placebo effect, I don't even like that term. We should call it something like the self-healing effect. Absolutely, yeah. Right, because it does have that negative, it's only well, the placebo Well, because if, so if I asked you, is tapping a placebo effect? Who cares? What would you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say who cares? Yeah. I mean, maybe well, part people of people want the real thing. They want some. They want it to be more than just this is my mind doing this. Well, you know? so the placebo. Well, I'll answer this way. So the placebo is activation of the relaxation response yes. to activate the self healing mechanism. So yes, if 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 that's the definition, yeah. then yes, yeah, EFT is the, the is, the is activating the relaxation yeah. response and turning on the body's natural self repair mechanisms. Yeah. But it's not all in your mind. Yeah. It's actually in your cells. Yeah. Like it communicates via hormones, yeah. um, via cortisol or epinephrine when it's the fight or flight, or via things like oxytocin, endorphins, yeah. you know, these sort of positive healing hormones. Yeah. So that's what's happening when people are doing EFT is they're releasing these healing hormones that are, and, and activating these natural self-repair mechanisms. So it's in the mind, but it's in the cells. Yeah. So it's, 
Like I said, I don't even like the oh, term. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I, I really dislike the term because it's come with so much baggage. Right. Right. And people discount it and they go, oh, well, that means I'm just, I think placebo has been attached to making it up. Right. right. Like right. I'm just making up, you know, in the same way that a hypochondriac, like a nocebo effect, that's the opposite, right? right. Someone who thinks that they're sick all the time and they expect sickness. Well, they are getting sick. Why? Because they're never relaxed and the relaxation response is not happening, you know. But what's happening, and my answer is always, you know, if, if the placebo definition is, oh, just making it up or just believing in it, you know, I say I've, I've tapped with so many people who didn't believe it at all. Right. Right. So that no, having to believe just... it mechanism wasn't activated. What was activated was the relaxation, the relaxation response, response, the awareness of the emotions, the releasing of the emotions, the calming of the amygdala, you know, which... Which, as you know, the latest research is showing that when we're, we're tapping on these endpoints of meridian, we're actually sending a calming signal to the brain, to the amygdala, right. you know, and showing that it's, and you feel it. You feel that yeah. tension, anxiety, stress just release. Well, and I want to speak to that also because you were mentioning before about um, does tapping only work while you're tapping? Yeah. And one of the things that I love about tapping as opposed to some of the other relaxation response activators. So, yeah. for example, laughter. Yeah is a great relaxation response activator, but you're not going to be laughing <laughs> yeah, all day, yeah, yeah. right? So what I love about tapping is that it's so effective at getting to the root of the limiting beliefs mm. that create the thoughts yeah. that trigger the amygdala yeah. to begin with. Yeah. So, you know, the I'm not worthy underlying b belief or the the world isn't a safe place underlying belief or whatever it is, we all have these limiting beliefs. And I think, you know, people that are, I loved how your book really walked people through how to get to the root, how, you know, how you can tap on the superficial part, yeah, yeah. or you can go a layer deeper, yeah. or you can go a layer deeper. Yeah. And if we can really tap on the underlying root of what's causing the fight or flight response to begin with, yeah. if you shift that, then you don't need to be tapping yeah, absolutely. to stop yeah. the cycle that activates the amygdala and turns off the body's natural mm. self-repair mechanisms, right? Because then you're no longer having the I'm not worthy thought yeah. because you've healed it from the core. Yeah. You don't I, have to do it every day all the time for the same issue over and over again. You get to the Right. Thing I think if you're tapping on the more superficial things, you yeah. have to do it more yeah. often. Yeah. But if you, if you do the work yeah. to go to the deeper levels, yeah. then you can heal it. Yeah. And then it's gone. And yeah. then you're not having those thoughts anymore. And yeah. that's really exciting. Yeah. So what was your first introduction to EFT? Do you remember when uh, um, when you first tried it or who shared it with you and, and what you thought? I mean, if I, 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 I saw somebody doing it across the room once and I was like... <laughs> what is happening here? I know. <sighs> yeah. Um, and then I gave a TEDx talk and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, hey, I, I, you were talking about the relaxation response. I, I wonder if you'd be interested in doing a free EFT session mm. with me. It was Kate Winch. Okay. And so I said, okay. I was curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you I know, ready to try. I'm skeptical. Yeah. I'm one of those people that's really skeptical but open. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'll try anything. Yeah. And so I've done a lot of weird <laughs> sessions, you know. And so she was working with me on an issue that I was struggling with, which I was dealing with my savior complex. Mm. Like a lot of things were manifesting in my life in really negative ways based on one of my limiting beliefs, which was that I have to give until I'm depleted yeah. in order to be a valuable, good human in the world. Mm. So I was over giving, overworking, you know, and so she created a, she did a live session with me yeah. and then she created a, a little, 
MP3. Nice. And when I put it on my iPod and I started doing it while I was meditating or while I was out on my hikes, yeah. and and I it really started to shift some things for me. I was like, okay, this is working. Uh. And then I started researching it because I'm super curious. Yeah. And like I said, I like to know mechanisms. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, okay, this doesn't make any sense to me, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not sure about this whole acupressure point yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I started interviewing other people who had been using it. My um, my husband, Matt, was started using it himself to deal with some anxiety that he was dealing with. It was really, I was witnessing how much it was helping him. And then I met you, and sort of all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and you said, this has got to be a problem, you know. Well, and I loved, like I said, I loved reading your book mm-hmm. because it, it really helped me get my doctor brain yeah, around it. Like, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah. And I love how applicable it is to whatever it is that is creating anxiety, worry, fear in your life, because you know it really can be part of one of part of one of the prescriptions that people write for yeah. themselves when they can figure out what those things are. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know a lot of times we get awareness and yeah. we're like, now what? Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, yeah. figuring it out is step one, which is incredible. But also, where most people get stuck is okay, they know something's wrong or they recognize that they're thinking negative ways or those patterns, but they don't know what to do about it, right? right? And one of the things I love so much about EFT is that it's so self-empowering, that you can take that power back and go, I'm not at the whim of the world, I'm not at the whim of everything that happens to me, you know, just because I've been doing anger for the last 20 years, you know, people who do anger, people who do anxiety, and I I use the word do because it's like, (laughs) it's like a mechanism in the body, they know how to do it, it's something that their body is almost chemically trained to do. I mean, Candace Perch's work has shown that our cells have receptors for these emotions. Right. And when they've been doing it for so long, they go, what do I do? You know, I'm sure Matt, with anxiety, it's like, okay, I know I'm anxious. I know this isn't good for me, but what do I do? You know, and being able to use the tapping and take that power back and say, I have control over what I'm thinking and I can shift these thoughts, I think is, I mean, that in and of itself can activate the relaxation response. Right. Yeah, and what I think is really... You know, it's it's really helpful to be able to get people to that place yeah. where they can identify the, those things that are create that are really at the root cause of illness, in mm-hmm. particular, or at the root cause of anxiety or depression or whatever, and to give them practical tools. Because again, awareness will only take you so far, yeah. right? Yeah. One of the questions I get all the time about EFT is they say, "Oh, can tapping help cure this?" All right? They love people love using the. They want an answer. They yeah. want can it cure cancer? Can it cure fibromyalgia? Can it cure? And I always say, tapping doesn't cure anything, right? It activates the body's self-healing mechanisms. Right. Then the body does what it does. And then the body, we know the body can cure cancer. We know the body can cure fibromyalgia and, and rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune disease. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? We know the body can fix a broken bone that's been split in half, right. you know? So the, the self-repair mechanisms are obvious there. And especially with chronic disease, what tapping can do is activate that healing response that you've been talking about. Right. Well, and what I always like to say to people when they're asking me those kind of questions is, you know, I teach the six steps to healing yourself, and step six is, is surrender, mm. right? That we can do all these things. Yeah. We can we can tap, and we can eat our vegan diets, yeah. and do all the things that we know are good for us. And at some point, it's sort of out of our hands, yeah. you know, that yeah. it's not, you, you, can, you can optimize. Yeah the body's chance yeah. to let its self-repair mechanisms do their work. Yeah. But, um, you know, we can't control yeah. everything in life. So you said through our conversation, if there's one thing people take away, right, 
talking about the stress response. So let's reiterate that because I want people to just really, it's such a big deal. You know, and I think that most people, like you said, they walk around, oh, stress, it's a badge of honor, it is what it is. And I don't think people realize how stressed they actually are. Right? I see so many people walking around and sometimes the way to have an experience is to just take a deep breath, you right. know. Well, you'll take a deep breath and let it go and all of a sudden right. they go, well, <laughs> you know, I've been holding on to all this stuff, just that little shift. So how important is it, and not to be stressed about releasing the stress, we want to make sure not to beat ourselves, I'm too stressed, okay, I have to stress less, right? But from your years of experience, from your medical perspective, what can happen when we finally relax? Well, I, I think it's so true that we've really just normalized mm -hmm. stress. And yet, if you look at the blue zones around the world, the places where there's a greater than ordinary percentage of people that live to be greater than 100, mm. they don't live stressful lives. Yeah. Most of them don't wear watches. Yeah. You know, they take naps yeah. every day. And those blue, blue zones, there's different diets, different environment, right? There's... Like, yeah, but, if it, but I think most of it is lifestyle. Yeah. I think a huge part of it, for example, is they have community. Yeah. Often in these blue zones, they live in multi-generational homes. Mm. Nobody's ever lonely. Mm. Nobody has that. Nobody has to face that overwhelm. Yeah. How do I get through my day? Like you think about the single mom with no support. Mm. And she wakes up in the morning and she's got to look at everything that she's got to get done during yeah. that day. And how am I going to get the kids to school? And how am I going to make it to work? And what if I get fired today? And how am I going to pay the bills? And those are just chronic, repetitive, fight or flight triggerings yeah. that are going on. But there's a way, we have a choice, yeah. right? We have a choice. We can agree to live in this culture yeah. and buy into the rules, or we can say, uh-uh, yeah. I'm going to live my life different. And I'm, I know personally I'm in a really interesting place right now in my career where I'm getting to, I'm, you know, there's lots of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. This is my life, my choice, my life expectancy. Yeah, yeah. And so I say a lot of no. Yeah. Because when I think about my own body and how I want to feel and how, what kind of life I want to live. And what kind of example you want to be and for. what kind of example know? I yeah. want to be for my seven-year-old. Yeah. And yeah. like I think it's really important for us to find that place of stillness. Yeah. One of my mentors is Martha Beck, and she's been really working with me on this. It's like finding that place of stillness and paying attention to the people that cultivate that sense of stillness within you mm. and noticing the life events or circumstances that cultivate that stillness mm. in you and where do you get out of that yeah. and just being really mindful of that and making choices about that and that includes practices like meditation yeah. or EFT yeah. but it also includes being exceedingly discerning yeah. about how you live your life and that requires courage yeah. and I think that's the hard part is people sort of know it's I'm, I'm amazed how intuitive people are mm. they know what they need yeah. to do yeah. Yeah. and they're really scared yeah. But they can tap on the scared. They can't exactly. Right. Exactly. So you can go to the root of like, you know, I, I'm scared yeah. that I'm that I need to quit my job, yeah. or I'm scared that I need to set boundaries with this toxic relationship, yeah. or I'm I'm scared that I'm gonna lose some of my friendships because mm. they don't cultivate the stillness in me. But that's like I said, that's why I love EFT, because you can go to the root of it. Mm. And you can you can say your your Tosha teaches about her change me prayers. Change me into somebody who's not scared. Mm. You know, so that I can find courage to do what I need to do so I can live. You know, I love the Mary Oliver quote, like, tell me what is it you're going to do with this one wild and precious life, right? Like, we have one wild and precious yeah. life. What are you doing with it? What are you yeah. doing with yeah. it, right? Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, so thank you so much for being here. We could talk for hours, and we have, and just so appreciate all your great work and what you're doing in the world. Oh, 
and how you're showing up. Thank you.